What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Alyssa. Samantha. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm so ready. Stuck at the office or traffic jam. Time to take it easy with Alyssa and Sam. Is that show you know a pro? Welcome back, you guys. This is season two. And as you can tell now, well, you can't tell from the audio, but you can tell from the YouTube that we are on YouTube. We are. We made the switch. We heard you. We listened. We made it happen. We're working three times as hard. <laughs> My eyes are literally already watering from that. <laughs> the stress of it all. Yeah, honestly. Um, so thank you guys so much for coming back for another season with us. Today we are joined by the lovely Matt. Yep. Yes, they are. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> for those of you who don't know, Matt is Sam's husband. Thank you so much for being here, Matt. I'm used to you calling me the fiance, so it was weird for you actually to call me the husband this time. Okay. Did you get a little... Nervous. Excitement quiver. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so today Matt is going to talk about his past with addiction. Thank you so much for sharing with us. No problem. This was something that was really heavily requested by you guys. We kind of mentioned in passing in a couple episodes that Matt's dealt with this. Um, and a lot of you guys were asking for him to kind of come back, share like the experience, what it was like going through rehab, all that kind of stuff. So we're just going to really hash out all your past trauma here yep okay i'd also like to point out that when i first got into like basically the program is what they call it or like when i got to rehab and stuff everyone well i shouldn't say everyone there's almost like a stigma about sharing about it like even in rehab they're like well you should only share with people that like because it can affect your job I think I went to rehab seven years ago and then that was a topic like, oh, everyone's like, oh, it can affect your job if they know you have substance problems and all this stuff. But I feel like I don't know if it's changed or I've changed, but I feel like it's more like people understand addiction more and like mental health now, even from seven years ago. And I feel like it's not it shouldn't be like a negative like connotation on your life where you want to hide it. And that, I think that's also part of the kind of contradiction with addiction um the big thing that addicts do is they like hide what they're doing from people because they various reasons and then i felt like it was a contradiction for basically rehab and the program even alcoholics anonymous the whole point of it is to be anonymous so so i understand people don't want to be outed and all that stuff but i'm just trying the point i'm just trying to make is um if you're uncomfortable about talking it talking about it that's fine but it's also like it feels liberating to talk about it with other people I feel like every person I've talked to has a positive interaction with me and uh, it might be helpful if if you're in the program or you're going through something similar just to talk about it with people and not have like that fear like you're going to be judged because every person I've talked to has been like a real like a positive experience and even when I wasn't drinking too and people would ask why I wasn't drinking the rehab would be like oh just say you're allergic to it or whatever really that's yeah. weird that they would like sooner you lie than be honest yeah. about why you're doing something yeah but yeah that's the weird i think that's the biggest kind of contradiction or like kind of thing about rehab where you're kind of like oh this doesn't but the program's like that too like i said the anonymous part of it so um i don't know i just think it's good to talk about and if if you can start with like a small group of friends even if 
I mean, you're, I, I think your close friends should know that you went to rehab anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. That's everyone I've talked to, even like in passing or when I wasn't drinking, uh, going out to like with my friends and stuff. When I talked about it with them, everyone was like super supportive. And it's, it was almost like a weird thing at the beginning where I didn't want to tell anyone either. Well, it's interesting that you say that because um, one of the first things you ever said to me when we re- like first, first started talking was that you had been through rehab. And I was really surprised by that because I thought that, yeah, I guess that I thought that you would carry some kind of like shame around that. But it was like one of the first things you said. Yeah, that'd be interesting to see someone else's perspective about it. I mean, some people are really passionate about it being anonymous and it's like your own little community and all that stuff. But I don't think it's that healthy, in my opinion, to do that. Yeah, well, it's not what worked for you ultimately. No, but I mean different parts of the country have different stigmas about addiction and your workplace could be different. Like there's lots of different variables with it. So yeah, for sure. So let's kind of take it back a little bit. When was like the first time that you dabbled in drugs or alcohol? So yeah, grade eight was when I first started drinking. Um, I just started hanging out with those friends too. Um, I think a common theme for me too is, um, that I do stuff to fit in with people, especially when I was younger. Because being an only child too, I always wanted to fit in with like adults and stuff. So I didn't really know how to deal with people my own age because I'd always just go hang out with adults. Mm. So I think I just try to find the easiest way to like fit in with people. And the people I hung out with, that was the easiest way because they all kind of did stuff like that. So um, yeah, I had beer the first time. It was gross. I think I had two <laughs> and I got drunk. Uh, two out of ten yeah i remember thinking like why does anyone drink this shit this is disgusting (laughs) but then yeah we kept doing it um so then that's what turned into like basically every weekend we'd go drinking and the funny thing is we'd go drink at our high school like on the grounds yeah and i'd always be like we come here monday to friday we don't want to be here we just try to get out as fast as possible (laughs) then on the weekend comes you guys just want to hang out here yeah so we're sticking your, it to the man. Parents not like where are you going? <laughs> With that two six of vodka. <laughs> no, they never what would happen is so after school I wouldn't even come home on Fridays. Mm. I would just stay because my school was in Newton, which is like fifteen minute drive from here, ten minutes, but the bus is like half an hour. So I would usually just stay out there and then we'd get one of our friends girlfriends to go ask a guy for a boot. Oh my gosh, I remember those days. Yeah, and then she'd get it for us, and then we'd go to the school, and then we'd just hang out at our friend's house, and we'd just start drinking. I didn't even have a cell phone then, so it's not like I'm telling my parents what I'm doing. And my mom would track me down. She would alert the neighborhood and the police. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I never had that problem. (laughs) I didn't really have that problem either, though, I'll be honest. I mean, it did feel good, because especially when I'm just trying to be like an adult in a hurry to grow up so fast and even the fact that i get to do that it was like such a nice feeling i guess but really it's not healthy yeah you were 14 right yeah or 13 and graded because my birthday's in december so the majority graded i was like just turned 13 i think wow and you were drinking yeah yikes um so then that was basically all every weekend we do that or every other weekend um and then when I started, the first drug I ever did was weed. And that was in gym class with older kids because we had a split gym <laughs> cast. We had grade eight and nine kids. 
And there's a guy who's a rapper now that... Awesome. Yep. Is he a good rapper? No. Oh, okay. Well, no. he's going to know now. No, he's not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> he's smoking too much reefer. <laughs> I guess so. He's, he's staying on SoundCloud only. <laughs> yeah. But they're, they're, these two older guys are like the biggest stoners ever. And I don't know how I started talking to them. Like, I wasn't a nerd, but I wasn't like... Like, how we got together, I have no fucking clue. Because you, you would see two of us and be like, those guys don't know each other. But somehow I started hanging out with them in my gym class. And then we'd have to go for a run, like all the, t- like, I think every, like, third gym class, you have to run, like, four blocks around the, like, you could leave the school grounds and go run and then come back to the school grounds. Mm. And uh, one day, like, they told me to come with them, cut through the forest, and then that's when they, they're like, oh, you want to smoke this weed? You want, that's you want like some a, of this reefer? Yeah. <laughs> that's like a commercial, you know, like the anti-drug commercial. Yeah, yeah. That's like identical. I know. It, <laughs> it's textbook older kid getting a younger kid into weed. You should yeah. have said yeah. no. Yeah. And now you're a meth addict. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Basically. Um, so they showed me how to smoke weed. Did I like it? No. Because I got super paranoid because I was still in... It was like second period, so I still had the rest of the day to deal with. That gives me so much anxiety even thinking about that. <laughs> yeah, I was so paranoid I was gonna get caught and shit. Um, but then again, I just keep doing it. I don't. Did like- you did you do the run after you smoked the marijuanas? No. How did your lungs handle that? <laughs> uh, no. What do I remember? We walked, but we cut. We cut. Basically, it's a square, so all we did was just cut across. Because our gym teacher was so Mr. Fitness, he'd go do the run. Uh, so okay. he wouldn't just sit there and wait for us so then he'd go do the run and then we just cut and then act like oh we're tired what about all the people at the end of the run they are not being supervised by a professional adult he sat he would do the run and then stand there and wait for everyone to come back right Question. it was a different time tell us more about the run yeah <laughs> i'm just i'm questioning his authority here his kids are out there in the forest smoking the reefer without his knowledge and it's, i think he actually knew but he's just like whatever he didn't care yeah okay anyway sorry um but again another pattern is i do this stuff i don't like it but i keep doing it yeah i don't like drinking beer even now i'll, I'll drink it it's not like i love it but um i don't like drinking beer i still kept doing it i didn't like smoking weed i still kept doing it to the and even like every drug I've done, I don't like doing it at the beginning, but I'll push myself to keep doing it until I actually start liking it. And are you are you pushing yourself because you want to like it or just because like you're trying to fit in again? Because I think in those circumstances, it's just what we're all doing. Mm. So I'm like, well, fuck it. I guess I'll just keep doing it until I'm like, they seem to be having a good time. They're all doing the same. They're choking down beer like, Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love hanging out with you guys. <laughs> did you did you eventually start to like weed? Yeah. Okay. But only because it just made me forget about my problems, I guess. Because, mm. um, yeah. Now that, uh, like, I actually understand what, like, like, depression and anxiety is now, um, I see basically self-medicating. And I can see now, like, the difference of, like... Because when Sam and I first got together, she would always say, like, I'm depressed. And I'd be like, oh, no, there's no way I'm depressed. Because I think of someone depressed, like, wants to kill themselves and and just sits in a corner and cries and all that stuff. That was kind of, like, my understanding of what depression was. So I'm like, oh, I don't do that, so I don't have it. But now that I've been on uh, medication, 
and I can actually tell the difference of what like a normal person feels like compared to what I felt like before, mm-hmm. um, then I can definitely look back and say, see myself like self-medicating too, especially for anxiety. I had so much anxiety in high school. And that's what I, and my anxiety was related to me wanting to fit in mm-hmm. and like feeling like I wasn't good enough or, and I felt like I didn't get any support. Actually, now here's a little epiphany for me. I think <laughs> I didn't get any support from like at home or really there was no external kind of support I was getting to make me feel like I was fitting in or whatever or like I was good enough or something. Mm. So then when I hang out with these people, I feel like I'm part of something and I fit in. So I think the drugs was almost like a secondary feeling towards just me feeling like I'm cool and I have friends and I can fit in and all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That was like the drug for you at the time was just like being part of this group. Yeah, because I went to four different schools. So I always had to find a way to kind of like fit in with people. And I hated it. It fucking so much anxiety the first day of school. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, yeah, that was a big part of it, too. Because I just hated being alone. Yeah. Don't we all? Yeah. (laughs) But you you hated being alone because you were alone a lot, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was alone. um, Well, I'm an only child. I don't know if I brought that up. And then my parents worked a lot because they had a business. So um, my grandparents lived with us till I was like 12. But that was like a whole different other dynamic, too. It wasn't like a typical grandparents. Like my grandparents, my grandma took on the role of my mom because Mm -hmm. my mom wasn't around as much. So then I'd have my grandma basically disciplining me and worried that I'm not going to. I think she it was out of care, but it just turned into she was probably worried that there was no one parenting me. Mm. So then she would parent me and then she'd tell my mom what happened and then my mom would parent me so then I'd get double parented. Mm. And then my grandpa was just kind of like, whatever, he didn't care. And then my dad was just, I don't know, he let my mom deal with a lot of stuff. Mm. Yeah. So how did it kind of progress from you sort of like being in middle school, high school, trying these things for the first time? How did that progress to you then getting into like harder drugs? Um... Same thing. It's just I started hanging out with... So I started doing like ecstasy in, I think, grade 10. Because I was hanging out with drug dealers then even, actually. That's how I started. Because some guy was selling ecstasy. And then I just hung out with him all the time. So then I'd always just do E with him. Like at school? No, I never did it at school. But at home, uh, we'd hang out or I'd go to his house. Or we'd be with a group of people. and Or I used to go to raves and stuff, too. So, I don't know, shit like that. How old were you then? Oh, fuck. I think I was 15 or 16 when I started getting into that. And I remember seeing Coke when I was 16 at a party with older kids that were already graduated. And then that was like, oh, my God, I'll never touch that. And it seemed like a a celebrity almost. Like, I was looking at a celebrity. And, like, you know, you kind of get, like, star... What's it called? Starstruck? Yeah. I remember being starstruck at it. Like, I can't believe, like, people can have access to it because you only see it in movies and stuff. (laughs) Wow. That's... Yeah, that's a weird thing. It's so funny because I remember you saying something similar because we had seen, like, Coke at a party or something. And I remember you saying something similar that it was, like, a classy drug and, like, it was expensive and all this stuff. And I thought that cocaine was, like, like, on par with meth. Like, I thought that was, like, full-on, like, street, like, it's... A nightmare like not some like cool party drug kind of thing like, well i mean I it is that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but yeah like i saw it as like super grimy for some reason. yeah i did too actually now that you say that i when i like i did ecstasy weed did i do any of the drugs in high school i don't think so 
But I remember seeing that and thinking that's like above, like a step above. Yeah. And I wasn't ready to even go close to that. I felt like what I was doing was kind of like, because everyone else was doing it, I think, too. So that justified it. It seemed normal. Yeah. Um, and then so when I got out of high school is when I started getting into coke and pills and steroids. Basically anything I get my hands on. But even that stuff, I didn't comprehend. Like steroids, I never comprehended that that was a drug until I got into rehab. Because I was like, oh, I didn't do any drugs for like nine months when I was doing steroids. But they're like, yeah, that's a drug too. I'm like, oh shit, yeah, that is. Oh, damn it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And you're going to call me out like that? Okay. (laughs) Or, um, yeah, so then I did coke, like again, all on the weekends and stuff. It didn't, nothing became habitual where I literally started doing it every day until I started doing pills. All the other stuff, I could take it or leave it. It wasn't running my life. And I would just do it like on occasion. It was nothing even close to like an addiction. Well, that's what people say is that um, addicts have a a drug of choice. And it's like you can take or leave like certain substances and everybody's drug of choice is different. But there's one that like really hooks you in. Yeah, for me that was uh, pills, opiates. Yeah. So what did the what did the switch look like? Because you went from thinking that cocaine was like this crazy thing that you're like, oh, I'm not touching that, and then now all of a sudden you're doing coke and, and all these things. Um, it's just a constant theme. I think I've told you before about this with the addicts. It's like you get a case of the fuckets. Mm. So it's like. Oh, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. The next time, no, I don't want to do that. And then the next time, you're like, oh, maybe. No. And then it's just, I think it's just when you're exposed to it so much and you see everyone else doing it and they're fine. They seem like they're having fun. Then you're just like, ah, oh, fuck it. Sure, I'll try it. Yeah, it's kind of like normalized after that. Yeah. I think if it was just like a one, t- and but that is a gateway part too because because of that, that built this reinforcement with other drugs where if my friends were doing it and... I wouldn't even watch them. If it was the first time someone offered me something, I'd be like, sure. Because I'm already under, I'm like, I know they do it already. They're fine. Their lives, well, I don't even look at their lives. I'm like, they're alive and they're still having fun. They're alive. So that must be a good sign. (laughs) So it just kind of became like, sort of like, it just got out of hand really quickly, like kind of snowballed where you would, event if, like initially you were like eh, i'll do it on weekends kind of thing like not really like interested in certain drugs and then eventually it was just kind of like whatever was being handed to you you'd be like sure yeah but that was with like the coke thing after that i did fuck i don't even know mushrooms acid stuff like that i wouldn't even think twice i'm like everyone's they're like oh we're gonna do it to make sure so and then um but i didn't like hallucinogenics either the only thing that really like instantly became habitual for me was uh percocets mm. the first time i ever did a percocet i still remember it my, my buddy came over we're watching a movie and he's like oh I'll take this he's like oh, I, he took one he's like i'll oh, take this and i'm like what is it he's like it's a percocet i'm like okay i didn't even know what a percocet was so then i took it and then i remember like laying on the couch watching whatever the hell we were watching and then just slowly like sinking in the couch and being like oh my god this is no problems in the world life was like you know that little excitement you get when you're like you buy something new or you complete a task or something like that it's like that times like a hundred and non-stop mm. and it's not an overwhelming thing because i don't like drugs that are overwhelming mm. it's just like this constant like feeling like life's perfect no problems and like oh it's just 
Like, I still talk about it like it's the best <laughs> shit ever. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, that's the thing is, like, you can understand that something in it, like, you know, ruined your life, basically, for, for a time period. But the feeling that you had when you did it is still the same because it's a chemical reaction. It's a, you know what I mean? Like, it's it was there. <laughs> yeah. And I think for me, like, that's always what scared me about drugs because, like, during high school and stuff like that, and then we were getting older, and people would talk to me about drugs, and they'd be like, oh, like having sex on this drug is like unlike anything else and like oh like I just like I took this and then I felt so good and like I was so artistic and like my creativity has never been better like they would always make it seem like this was the best that things could get and I was like I don't fucking want that then because then nothing will ever be good unless I'm on drugs and I'm like I don't I don't want to have it be something where I have to be taking something to ever reach that level again because for me right now it's like I know what I can go do that's like a healthy normal thing to do to make myself feel good but if if I had done that same thing on drugs and it was like 10 times better then it would be ruined forever but in those situations as a kid even did you feel like your life was like still like pretty good and at the time anyways or did, did you feel like you were looking for something to like feel different i think it just wasn't my i think i just never had the thought process of of like i'm going to take something to, like i want like a quick fix kind of thing i had like a long drawn out process thought out in my mind of like how i was going to feel better because i started kind of dealing with depression when i was in high school and I was never like, oh, I should do this or I should do that. I was like, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna move away. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to get the job I want to do. And then I'm going to be happy because I'm going to be making money. I'm going to be doing what I like. I'm going to be creative every day. Like it was, I was thinking so much more long term. I wasn't trying to get rid of it now. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's also a difference between like uh, an addict and like someone else. It's well, it's impulse control, right? Yeah, all impulse, instant gratification, and just trying to get out of that feeling as fast as possible because i think like addiction from what i've learned and i'm not a doctor either whatever you say <laughs> <laughs> um is it's um hereditary like you can wait was it hereditary or what's the saying yeah, yeah hereditary yeah. it's hereditary and um it's also factors so you have like a predis- genetics, yeah, yeah. you have a genetic predisposition to it but it still doesn't guarantee that you're going to be an addict and then your uh, environment yeah affects it and I think it's like your environment is like 70% and the genetic disposition is just like a little like push along. Yeah. Well, it is. It's it's proven Na- like nature versus nurture. And they're both extremely important. And um, having like a good support system at home, feeling safe at home, all of these sorts of things, they completely change the ways that you do deal with um you know, hurt and pain and stuff like that in your life. How you cope. Kind of yeah, thing. exactly. Yeah. So do you kind of, because you were sort of from even like a pretty young age and, and it wasn't cognizant at first, but later on it kind of was more cognizant because you were using it as a coping mechanism and it was something that would make you feel better or feel like you didn't have as many problems. Now that you don't have drugs in your life, do you, like, do you still find yourself trying to find ways for instant gratification or are you kind of more? No, I still do. Yeah. I think now that I understand like what's going on with me through like rehab was helpful and but I think therapy has actually been the most helpful for me um but at least just understanding like and you're 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 like good at like picking up when I start like going a little sideways too with like impulses or like addictive behavior yeah um but yeah I don't think it's ever gonna go away it's just managing it really but I don't ever feel like I'm craving drugs yeah at the first like two years yeah 
but now I don't. It doesn't even pop in my head. It's just like if I have a negative feeling, I'm still. Well, again, therapy made me understand and like learn how to deal with it differently. But before, I would still get that. Oh, this I'm uncomfortable. I don't like this. How can I get out of this as fast as possible? Mm. Yeah. And when I didn't have drugs, the only way to get out of those as fast as possible is just to leave the situation. Mm-hmm. So I'd always just leave the situation or I'd go to the other extreme and just like be so aggressive that I aggressively got out of the situation by like basically bullying or whatever I could to just bulldoze my way out of this conversation if mm-hmm. I couldn't leave. Mm. It's it's funny because like when when we first started dating and first started talking and stuff like that and we were talking about kind of like your journey with addiction and all this and it was it was the one thing that you always said to me is if you were like if I knew I was like gonna die or I was sick or the world was ending or whatever like you would just go do all the drugs and it was kind of like your um like worst case scenario I'm going back to drugs kind of thing and I think that's changed a little bit for you now but it's sort of like if if there was something so horrible happening like it, it was almost like it was still your default years later to be like that's I would have to cope this way yeah that's true actually and I think it was like almost I hadn't actually accepted that I couldn't do drugs again yeah or didn't want to really I didn't even accept the fact that I didn't want to I just knew I couldn't but now it's different now I feel like as soon as I started my business and I moved and I just got a lot more responsibilities is when I think it changed for me too because even when I was in Mer- I moved to, to Merritt to start a business which is like a shithole town uh, when I first got back from rehab <laughs> And um, that was what I think kept me sober. I know it did because I was there's no one there like a, a normal. If you sent a normal addict to go live in that town by himself for a year with no real connection to anyone and no one holding you accountable, then I I think nine times out of ten they'd relapse and they'd fucking die or they who knows where they'd end up. But the only thing that was for me like if I just went there to work a job, I probably would have relapsed. Yeah. But the fact that I, I had Drivers that I was responsible for paying their wages so they could take care of their family. I felt that responsibility. And the fact that my parents had supported me and they believed in me to go do that. And I believed in myself. I felt like I had responsibilities in in that uh, sense too. And I just wanted something different. And I I, I knew I didn't want to go back to what I had. But I think those the fact that people were relying on me, which I also hold like a high value of disappointing people. Mm. So I don't know if that would actually work if someone that just started a business that that was what keep them. But because I have such a high value of not disappointing people, then I think that's what also helped me in turn do it. And then I stayed sober for three years from anything. Um, And then after three years, I started drinking again. So let's maybe if you don't mind, let's take it back a little bit to that time when you first did that Percocet, because there's a a pretty big gap between when you started doing Percocets to when you went to rehab. Yeah, so I was 21. I just bought a house. I was actually doing pretty good. I had my own business. I just bought a house. And then, yeah, I must have been 21. Yeah, 21. And then I started doing Percocets. And then that turned into an everyday, all-day thing. Right away. Right away. Like a meet, like first time the next day you went and got Percocets? Well, I was like almost embarrassed to ask him. Oh, really? Yeah. So it lasted maybe like a week where I'd kind of dance around it or I'd like run into him and they'd be like, oh, do you have any more? And I'd ask for one. And then like after like a couple of weeks, I'm like, fuck it. I'm like, give me 50. So then. That's a big jump. Yeah. 
And I have like a little dish like this beside my computer. Because when I, when I had my own business, I worked out of the house Like too. a candy, like a little yeah. like old lady Like mince, an old but lady. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not even joking. It's exactly what it looked like. Yeah. It was like my grandma's like crystal ball that I had. <laughs> you obviously didn't have any animals. You tarnished the family heirloom. <laughs> I don't know why I had it. But I'd be playing video games on the computer and, and eating on like candy. I remember one day I had like f- 15... I didn't realize it until I was like, what the fuck where they all go? How many hours was that? Um, that was probably 10 hours. That's like, yeah, I, one I, and a half when an it, hour. When it first started, I could do one and be high for like hours. And then, but the dependence on Percocet just skyrockets so fast. Mm-hmm. Then I had to do two at a time. Then I had to do two every like half an hour. And then like, wow. And then that's when it progressed into oxys because they were cheaper. And I remember the first time I did an oxy, I puked. Oh, really? And I'm like, this is the worst. I was so sick. And then the next day, let's try it again and see what happens. Still sick. The next day, well, not this time. Still sick. And I put myself through like a week of hell just to get used to it. So then I'm like, oh, I actually feel great now. Because they were so strong? Yeah. But um, the 20s but the 20s would make me sick, so then I'd have half. But it was just because it was so strong, my stomach couldn't handle it. And that's when I started using um, justification. Oh, yeah, that was another thing, too, is I justified doing the oxys when I was doing perks. When I started getting tattoos, because I wanted to kill the pain, so oh, I'm like, "Oh, okay. I need to do oxy's for that." And then that—that's. I remember the first time I did an oxy, I was driving to my tattoo appointment and I pull over and puke, and then I just showed up like nothing, and then he tattooed me. Wow. So, but yeah, again, it's just like I just keep doing it till it feels different. Yeah. Yikes. A... And then so I did that for poor logic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I did that for three years. And I, at the end of it, I lost my job. And then I was, uh, I wanted to start like a home automation business. So my parents were helping me out with that. And then I started working for a drug dealer on the side too to pay for my problem. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, it just not, it spiraled so fast. Like it was probably a good year of just crazy addiction. And then I, my, I distanced myself from my parents and then... They ended up dissing themselves from me because I would like, they thought I was bipolar because I have crazy mood swings and stuff. <clears throat> and then my dad like had to give me like tough love and he's like, because they were like giving me money to start this business and I was just basically pissing away on drugs and they asked me where the money was going one day. And then I remember thinking like, well, I can either tell them that I'm a crazy drug addict, which I prefer not to. <laughs> so I'll just tell them. Dad, like, I'm a crazy drug addict. Don't know how to tell you this. <laughs> <laughs> so then I just told them like why you guys always on my ass about money blah, blah. Yeah. and then my dad came down and talked to me and he's like yeah i'm not doing this to you anymore like don't don't call me anymore blah blah, blah. Mm. so he like gave me tough love and then i lasted like a month so about a month after that then i called my parents because i had no money and i couldn't i was getting evicted and i literally had nothing so then i'm like yeah i can't stop i need help i can't stop doing pills and i so you so you told them yeah they came to my house i told them what was their reaction right then? They're just like, okay, well, let's find an addictions counselor. So then we Googled addictions counselor. And then the next day I had an appointment with an addictions counselor. So they picked me up and I went with them. And then the guy's like, yeah, you have to go to Vancouver Island like tonight. And I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. For what? For rehab? For rehab, yeah. Because I, I wasn't expecting him to throw all that shit at me at once. Right. And then so he made me leave the room. We talked to my parents. And then I think he told them basically like 
they they can't enable me, so they have to. Yeah, I talked to your mom about this once, and she said that they basically were like, "This is going to be so difficult, but like you have to tell him you're not going to support him. He can't be in your life, like whatever." And your mom said that was like the hardest decision ever. But yeah. she was like, "I guess that's just what we have to do." Yeah, something mm-hmm. like that said too. Um, so, so we came back to the house. I'm like, "There's no fucking way I'm going," and. Why didn't you want to go that day? Because you obviously wanted help because you told your your parents. Because I thought help was like, I'll Money. just go to like, no, I thought help was like, I'll go to like a counselor once a week and they'll give me drugs to stop doing drugs and then I'll slowly get my life together. Mm-hmm. I didn't think it was going to be like, drop everything, go live on the island for 90 days, three months. That was so intimidating to me. Did you not feel like you were really addict kind of thing like like were you disillusioning yourself to think that like maybe you weren't as like 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 i don't need rehab like I'm yeah, not yeah, like yeah. That bad yeah yeah kind of yeah yeah for sure but then in the meantime i had like basically like 10 different drugs in my pocket that i was gonna do at my parents house that night so so anyway so after that meeting we went to i was texting some friends to see if i could stay at their couch because my dad's like yeah you get tonight and you either go to, to rehab or you go live somewhere else because i had nowhere to go <clears throat> and then so I, t- I had a plan where I could go stay at my friend's house for, for like a couple weeks, but I had no actual plan. That w- It's just like you're always just living in the moment trying to survive. Yeah. So that's all I was trying to do. But then um, that that night I told my parents, I'm like, yeah, I'll think about it and let you know in the morning. But I had no plan on going. <clears throat> and then I did like basically all the drugs I had left because I knew I had no money left. And for some reason I wanted to do it all that night. I don't know why. I think I thought that I was going to end up having to go to rehab too. I think I'll tell them that I'm not going, but I'm still going to end up going anyway. Yeah, in the back of your mind type of thing. Yeah, and I remember at the meeting, the guy said that they give you stuff to wean off because coming off opiates is like the worst experience like anyone can have. And I had to do it like every like week. What is is it like? It's like a a flu times a thousand and your bones feel like they're like breaking and every muscle in your body cramps up and you can't sit still and... Mm -hmm. You're super sick. You can't eat anything. You can't sleep. You have the worst headache like possible. It's literally like, like, I can't describe how much pain it is. And I had to do that every week because I'd run out of money and I had to scramble and find money to get, because you start, I start withdrawing after 24 hours. And uh, so anyway, so I did all these drugs at my parents' house and then I woke up in the middle of the night again with the worst headache ever, but like. I thought I had bad headaches when I was withdrawing from pills, but this was like again like five times worse than that. What what drugs did you do that night? I did ketamine, coke, oxys. Um, what else did I do? Just a little cocktail. Uh, MDMA. I literally did everything I had by in, yourself. In one, yeah. like just like one pop, or like you like kind of. Spread well, it I out. would do like ketamine and coke at the same time. It was called like Special K or something. So you get like loopy from the K, but still you stay away from the coke with the coke. So I did a bit of that at the beginning, and then I was too high, so I take a pill to come down. And then I'm down too much, so then I do like some more coke, and then maybe a little bit of Molly. Like it's just anxiety. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how I did it to be honest. Even thinking about it gives me anxiety. That, that makes my stomach turn. I've never even done drugs, and I'm like, oh, like, this is horrible. How long did this um, binge last? From like eight o'clock at night till like I fell asleep at like maybe two in the morning. 
that's actually not that long if no. you think of it but i think my body was like just shutting down yeah obviously because when i woke up i had that worst headache and my body was like like i think i might have actually been kind of dying yeah because i was just like your body was like hail me yeah so then i went and told, woke up my parents and i thought i was withdrawing so i'm like okay t- i'll go to rehab right now because you wanted the withdrawal drugs yeah yeah <laughs> So, because I, well, I knew I had no drugs left. I'm like, well, again, my addict mind, that's the only, where you did can I all get the drugs, drugs. Yeah. all the drugs that you had. Yeah. Okay. Where, where can I get drugs from? Well, I can't get any drugs anymore, but I know that they'll give me drugs at rehab. So that's where I guess my brain went to. But the most wow. thing is I just, yeah, I thought I was withdrawing. So then we got on a ferry and I was like, like on the ground, like moaning and people are walking by me. Like, what the fuck is wrong with this kid? <laughs> And my parents are just like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> we don't know him. Don't yeah. know him. Never met him. He just happens to be here. Yeah. And the whole like ride to the to the clinic or rehab, I was I was like that. And then I remember so vividly laying in the back seat, dying, and the car coming to a stop, and then instantly my headache's gone. And then just me popping my head up. Here's the like, oh shit! And I see like this waterfall, <laughs> and like um, and this like brown building, and I'm like, oh fuck, I'm here now. <laughs> and it like it was weird because like all the pain that as soon as we pulled into that driveway, all, sober, yeah, like sober disappeared. Weird. And then I'm like, fuck. Well, I guess I'm here now. It's not like I can go anywhere. Because so, you wanted to leave at that moment. Yeah, my gut was like, I don't want to do this. Especially when you sobered up after all those drugs. Like, you're in the worst low of your life. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyways, they, uh, they like, checked me in. And then they told my parents to, like, come back in, like, two weeks. And then when I got there, I'm like, well, I guess I'm here now. And then I was still kind of dying. And then they, they, they don't let you kind of just, like, do whatever the fuck you want. It's, like, pretty strict. So, I wanted to, like, go to sleep because I hadn't slept. And then they were trying to get me to go to group therapy which you do every single day and then i just like jumped in the bed like rolled myself in a ball and then <laughs> fell off the bed so it looked like i just made a mess and then i just slept there for like three hours and i could hear people coming in and out looking for me and stuff <laughs> so crafty <laughs> but i also felt like they're, they're like coming in they're like we've got a runner <laughs> he lasted 12 minutes <laughs> i also felt like when they're coming in i'm like is this what my life has come to where I'm curled in a ball hiding from adults and I'm a fucking adult myself? <laughs> hiding from the rehab staff. Yeah. So it was a pretty, it was like the lowest of lows. I think. Yeah. But after like a week, they started giving me the medication like three days, two days after that. What did they give you? Sorry. It's called Suboxone. Oh, okay. Yeah. And they wouldn't give it to you right when you got there? No, they wanted to make sure that it was basically all out of my system and I was actually like hardcore withdrawn. Mm-hmm. That's when I was like loving life being there. <laughs> because you weren't experiencing any of the, uh, the withdrawal effects, right? No, I was actually high off it again because your, your body is in such a withdrawal. It's a, it's an opiate, but it's not, it's like an opiate substitute, but it also blocks. I don't know what it does, but you feel good. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was like hugging people and like moonwalking into group <laughs> therapy and like having a great time. And then when they stopped giving it to me and then... That's when I remember like reality setting and like I actually feel a bit normal, more normal, but I'm still super depressed. And now I actually have to do this for like another like two and a half months. Um, but yeah, I just I don't know. By the time I was there, I was just like, my, I literally have nothing to go back to. My life was in shambles and I might as well make a sh- take a shot at this. What did your life like actually like in like the weeks right before rehab? Like what was like your day to day life kind of looking like? Um 
That drug dealer would call me and I'd do so much drugs that I'd fall asleep and I wouldn't answer my phone. So he'd get super mad at night. And then so I'd go to bed at probably like two in the morning and I'd wake up at like noon and my bedroom had no windows and the mattress was on the ground. I didn't have like a proper, it was like a crack shack, but it was like in like a $2,000 apartment in Vancouver. Were you in, is, this sounds more like a closet than anything. No, it wasn't that bad. It was... Like, it was a nice apartment, but what you had in it was garbage. No windows? Is that legal? It was a weird layout. It was like an office. Oh, like a den. The actual bedroom had windows, but I didn't sleep in that one because it was too small. Um, So anyways, I'd wake up, and the first thing I'd do is pop a pill because I was depressed. I'd feel instantly depressed because I wasn't high. Mm -hmm. And I'm still, like, months of, like, my brain, like, going through that. And then I'd, uh, I'd watch the first 48 for, like... (laughs) <laughs> five hours i love that show and then i'd go like down into get high and watch the first 48 <laughs> i'd go i had a huge change bucket from when i actually had money and i'd pick like a tuna and a loony out and then i go to tim hortons and get like a chili or like a soup or something and a bagel and that's all i would eat and then i would just sit in my apartment and be high for the entire time by yourself or my girlfriend at the time but yeah i knew the end she was there every day and she was on drugs as well yeah and she didn't have a job, so I was supporting her and my drug habit. Wow. Yeah. How much was it, like, costing you, like, a week? Well, I didn't actually do the numbers on it, but uh, uh, eighty an Oxy-80 costs 80 bucks, so 160 bucks a day, and then... That was cheaper than Percocets? Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. And then... So let's say 160 bucks a day times five is 500, and then uh, that's $800 a week. So eight sixteen thirty two hundred dollars a month, and probably be more than that because there'd be some days I'd do more than two eighties. Well, and then if you were supporting your girlfriend's drug habit as well, then yeah, would be doubled. Yeah, and obviously well, if you're I wasn't counting making... seven days a week. It's more than eight hundred, isn't it? Oh yeah, it's business days. Yeah, <laughs> I only do drugs on business days. I'm not crazy. Okay, Jesus, Monday through Friday. Monday through Friday, <laughs> Saturday, Sunday, I rest. <laughs> anyway, a whole hell of a lot of money. Yeah. That's that's a mortgage payment on oh, Oxy's sure. alone. Yeah, that's without doing any like coke or whatever to come back up. No, and I also did that all the time. Yeah. I had a friend that died from it. I had a friend that died from doing coke and Oxy's at the same time, and I knew that, and I still would do it. Yeah, and. Is just like no, it's like that whole powerless thing, like addiction. When you are in full addiction, you can't control yourself at all. Okay, so that's what a day in your life looked like, kind of like as an addict in active addiction. What did a day in your life? And you're smiling. <laughs> what did a day in your life look like uh, in rehab? That's or- a great question. Thanks for asking that. <laughs> <laughs> He's not an actor, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> They'll be like, "What is this kid laughing about?" Yeah. I call myself a kid. I'm 32. <laughs> um it was pretty shitty um <laughs> you had a single bed you got to make it every day um which is fine they're like teaching you like mindfulness and stuff a lot of the stuff that they taught you there everyone's like oh they're brainwashing us fuck this play blah, blah blah i would never say that i'd be like some of this is a little extreme but now i look back on it and i see they're just basically trying to teach you to be mindful and like aware of what you're doing each step and all stuff so we'd have like group therapy we'd have breakfast in the cafeteria then you'd have group therapy from like, I don't know, for like two hours, two and a half, two and a half hours. That's a long time, actually. Yeah, it sucked. What What did group therapy look like? There'd be like 10 of us in a circle with a counselor. My counselor would fall asleep half the time. <laughs> and uh, we just literally sit there and talk. You just talk about 
anything. A lot of them, they wanted to talk about, like, a lot of them want to talk about trauma and stuff or... Like, they'd prompt you kind of thing? Yeah. Or talk about your, like, behaviors and stuff like that. So you'd sit there and talk. And a lot of times they'd mix people in and out. So you'd get someone else to talk to and kind of spark stuff. And it's literally what you guys do here, but with a bunch of addicts talking about trauma or whatever drugs mm. stuff like that they didn't like you talking about drugs because they thought it was like triggering for people mm. Mm. so they they usually just wanted you to talk about like what kind of got you there or what your life looks like and all that stuff so we do that for like two and a half hours then we'd have lunch oh no we have an assembly two in the morning a lecture it's called we have an hour-long lecture where they're basically teaching you about addiction mm. and sometimes we'd have like guys come and tell their stories that was another thing. They'd bring in people that went to Edgewood and they'd come tell their story basically. As Edgewood well. was the name of the rehab, by the way. Yeah. It's so like, like a, alumni. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so they'd come in and talk. So anyways, we'd do that. And then after lunch, we'd have, like you'd get projects basically to work on, almost like school. Um, so you'd have to do that. And then you'd have dinner and then you'd have another like book reading because we had like three books, like the AA book and all this stuff to read. So you'd have to do that. You're yawning. That's how boring it was. <laughs> <laughs> it was shit. So then you'd have to do that. And then you'd have to do like book study with your peers till like nine o'clock. And by nine o'clock, it's free time. And then by then I'm beat tired. There was one TV in the, in the, in the place. You couldn't use cell phones or computers. Did you guys fight over what to watch? <clears throat> I honestly didn't watch TV once. Oh, really? Yeah. I wasn't even... I was so tired by then that I just wanted to go to sleep. He didn't watch the first 48. Not once. No. no. And we'd have movie nights on Fridays, and we'd play, like, charades, like, on a Wednesday or something. Like, That's they, fun. They'd give us something to break up to, like, the monotony. Monotony? Monotony. Monotony. Monopoly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And we'd have a walk. We'd go on a walk every day, too. Nature walk? Yeah. Um. Did you have... Sorry, I... I do you have like um like therapy just on your own at all no never Mm -mm. oh interesting Mm. there was a therapist there that would check in with you but you would only talk to him for like 20 minutes Mm. and that was like once a month if that wow no um and then there's a podcast i was listening to i think dr phil and he says the same thing about addiction he thinks that the program's good but he thinks that it has to be paired with actual therapy like one-on-one therapy yeah and that's not saying that it, obviously the program works for millions of people, but mm-hmm. he thinks, and I think too, that there's also, it's, it's very important to at least speed up the process. Well, and, and I think like with anything, addiction doesn't look the same on everyone. Recovery doesn't look the same on everyone. Like it's not a one size fits all kind of thing. And like, obviously they have like a method that works quite well, as you said, but I think, yeah, like for long-term recovery, I think for you, one-on-one therapy was super helpful for like actually overcoming that trauma yeah the nice thing about the program especially when you first get into it is you hear people telling stories and that's the whole point of it you can relate to the stories so you don't feel alone Mm. that's the big thing about addiction is you feel like what's wrong with me and you feel like you're the only person that's doing it even though that's that's just how deep down you get into it so when you hear other people telling stories and like shame's shameful story sometimes then you don't feel as shameful as yours not because you're comparing it but then you feel like okay i'm not the only one that's that that's did. done stuff like yeah. this yeah like yeah. horrible stuff well i think that people often take too much of the blame for being addicts yeah. because it's it's not 100 percent your fault sure you may have made that decision but that decision came from somewhere it's rooted in something it takes and, a village and more yeah more often than not it's rooted in trauma 
Yeah. So why are we taking all of this responsibility for these actions when like, sure, do so. But in, instead of like using that and attributing it as shame, you well, know what I mean? Yeah, like that's kind of, and I mean, I obviously I don't deal with addiction and I, I've never been through rehab or whatever, but like it's a, a lot of the stories that you tell me about rehab, it does kind of seem like it is sort of almost like enforcing that, like reinforcing like that guilt or shame. And I feel like it's, it may help to like overcome addiction, but um, then it's sort of like you need therapy for dealing with that guilt and shame that was reinforced. But do you feel like it felt that way or not really? Mm. No, I don't think so. I think they're coming from a good place. I think they're just trying to protect people. Mm. Um, but... They, they try to get you to work through your guilt and shame as well. Like when you when you get to the very end of the program <clears throat> and you have to leave, then you have to do basically this like super long questionnaire. And then you go over it with um, uh, not a pastor, but like someone that's like not religious, but registered to like deal with like traumatic. Like a, like a sponsor? Yeah. No, like a counselor almost. Yeah. And uh, they always hammer into you at the end. Okay, you got to get out and. And this is your time one-on-one you need to get out any sort of like shame trauma anything that you you need to get it out now because if you go out there and you haven't dealt with it then it's, you're gonna be back so that was a big thing and i don't think i was the problem with that is i wasn't even still like they do all this group therapy for 90 days so you get in your mind what the trauma is and then you start digging and asking questions and stuff but i think i was more i still had a bit of an ego where i didn't think and I guess guilt that I felt like my childhood was not even close to theirs yeah. or my trauma had nothing to do with some of these people had some horrific stories. So then I kind of just stay quiet about mine and just let them talk about theirs or like, so I never really d- dived into it that deep. So when I did that thing at the end, I really didn't get much out of it. Um, but now that I've been into therapy long enough, now I understand kind of where it was coming from. So. Yeah. Well, and just like physical pain is subjective, so is emotional pain. Yeah, yeah, exactly. you know. But like, the, I, sorry, but the guilt thing too. I wanted to say. The, it's easy for other people. Like I still catch myself when I see like a, like a homeless person or a drug addict or stuff. I still have that societal kind of narrative where I'm like, oh, well, go like get your shit together or like go even maybe i have an ego because i went through similar and i'm like well why can't they do it but i think the big thing is just that societal like oh what's wrong with these people and a lot of people think they're still making a choice which they're not and i catch myself thinking like that too so i think the whole shame thing and i'm blaming when we're like what what's wrong with us it's because we it's been ingrained like everyone has choices and they make their choices and those people choose to be homeless and drug addicts and all that stuff i think everyone it's been ingrained in us for so long that then you start thinking yeah well, i'm so ashamed and why can't i control myself because that's what you're told you should be able to do right well and i think it's that stigma and also like the lack of education around it like you said earlier with depression you pictured depression as like just suicidal thoughts and actions only and like someone that's like very clearly visibly depressed kind of thing um but it's because you didn't know enough about it and you weren't taught enough about it so you had that stigma kind of like leading the narrative of it and even for me kind of you know like throughout our relationship um getting to know that side of you and like addictive tendencies and all that kind of stuff was really hard for me because you know there was a lot of times where you would explain things to me like I, well I just don't think about it 
well, I just, I just do it. I just whatever. And for me, like, I don't think that way. So it's really hard for me to be like, well, you must be thinking about it. You must be whatever. Because even if I was to start, like, if I was to start doing drugs tomorrow, I think I would have such a hard time with it because I wouldn't just say fuck it I would be like well but like if I do this then maybe I'll get addicted then maybe things won't be as like fun without it blah 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 like I would go through that whole thought process before doing it and so I think like trying to relate to someone who has a completely different mindset to you completely different impulse control and and that coupled with not knowing anything about addiction not being taught anything about addiction um and the stigma that comes with it is just like such a deadly duo Mm mm-hmm and it's, it just makes it really hard to, like, understand what other people would be going through. So it's sort of like this really harsh world where you're trying to recover. And it, and it just must be really difficult. I've said it before. I'll say it again. That's a huge problem is that if you, if you haven't been through something, you can't understand it. Yeah. And even if you have, you can't understand exactly what that person's feeling because everybody's experience with loss, addiction, pain, whatever is completely different. And I think that a lot of people struggle to understand that because even if they understood like you do that, like, okay, now I, I haven't been through it, so I don't understand it, but I can still be sympathetic. Yeah. Uh, don't know where I was going with that. But anyway, <laughs> I, I think that that would be, that that's huge. Yeah. Because I think people people do have opinions on it without having any experience in the matter. And then it's like, well, you can't really, you can't really know. Sure. You can have an opinion because everyone's entitled to their opinion, but why do you assume that yours is right? I guess. And then that, that lends to the guilt and shame of somebody because now these people are coming at them. Why can't you just, why can't you just, and it's like, because I'm here and I can't. Yeah. I don't think like even my family completely understands addiction. Even now, I think they think I'm just cured or something. Um, so even the fact that they went through all that stuff too, it's easy to fall back onto like that thought process, like I'm cured or I don't have the same tendencies as I did before, or I'm actually putting in the work every day to try to like not be like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think it's the whole understanding thing. I don't know. I I don't have a lot of faith that it's ever going to be like actually people seeking to understand it. I think. It's still going to be part of a, like, maybe people will talk about it, but I don't think people are actually going to seek to, like, understand or be, like, more empathetic about it or anything. But I, I think I think the world is changing a lot, though. Like, I think even just um, through the internet and being able to have that access to information and, and other people's stories and stuff like that and podcasts and YouTube and whatever else, like, I think that people are... I think like younger generations are trying to move forward in a way that's like more understanding, more accepting and and realizing that like we are all very, very different. Like I think we're stepping further and further away from the idea of like you go to school, you get a job, you do this. It Mm. looks exactly like this. These are the jobs that are appropriate. These are the jobs that aren't kind of thing. Like I think that people are starting to really individualize in that way. Yeah, that's true. I think, yeah, younger people, it's going to eventually change. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Yeah. I'm just thinking more of like my parents and my grandparents and and my experience with this and them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's something to be said, too, is that you can, again, with the whole like, you know, nature versus nurture, you know, our parents were raised in a completely different world. So yeah. at the same time, I feel like I have to be respectful of that, that they didn't have the same experience of growing up as I did. Well, and they have even less understanding of some of these things. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And and 
that's the way that it was. And I can't assume that they'll, I mean, and my mom is extremely like, uh, different than I feel than the rest of her like age group. Yeah. She's pretty open-minded. Yeah. She's very open-minded and like tries to be extremely understanding, yada, yada. Um, and, but, but even with that, like, how could I, how could I assume that she would be that way? Because she didn't grow up in that world. She just managed to kind of like roll with the times and yeah. it's not as easy for everybody. No. And I think that that's um, something that we like really wanted to do here on this podcast is like be as open and honest as we can yeah. because we did have experiences and, and if we share them, I mean, maybe it'll get, maybe it'll get out to somebody. <laughs> yeah. I was listening to this podcast recently and like they opened the one episode by saying that this podcast was them consenting to learn in public. Mm. And I really liked that um, quote because it, it is exactly that. Like, it's kind of like stumbling through these conversations and hearing people's stories and stuff like that with the intention of other people being able to kind of witness that that experience of, mm-hmm. of taking on that knowledge. Well, yeah, and that is what we're doing. We, we're, you know, we're learning every day and we learned a lot in season one and we're still learning and we're going to learn some more. <laughs> yeah, high five. Killing it. High five, man. My hands are clammy. You don't want to talk. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it really got let down there for everybody to see. So I just wanted to ask, um, like, when you were in rehab and stuff like that, did you feel like there was any moment where you had, like, an epiphany or something really clicked where you were like, oh, shit, like, this yep. is... I remember it vividly. It was, like, the third week. It was, like, the third week in, and my counselor... I think my parents had just visited me, and then my counselor is talking to me. And then he's like, what are you doing, like, here? And then I'm, And then I'm like, what do you mean? He's like your parents love you and you have the ability like obviously they're they're they uh, you have the ability to basically do whatever you want in life he's like you're smart you know what you want um your parents can support you if you want to go like because he knows i want uh, like business he's like you have the ability to go basically take the world like in the palm of your hands and you look what you're doing with it right now you're just wasting your life and then he just walked away and then i fucking sat there for like 15 minutes like yeah i actually do have like like i felt more confident about myself but also like i'm pretty privileged and i'm basically pissing it away like just being born you have like it's i think it's like a one in trillion chance of being born and then in the situation that i'm in um i felt like like it's so stupid for me to just throw away this opportunity that i could actually take advantage of so then that's when i started like putting like the work into it but before then i was kind of just like i felt like i had no future so i wasn't sure what you're just just, taking it day by day yeah i was just coasting yeah I read this quote once. I don't know who it's by, um, but it said, if um, if you feel you have no future, then I guess you do have no future. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. And then if you, you know, start to believe you have a future and there you go. There start it is. It. But it also takes a huge person to be able to sit there and listen to that shit being spewed at them, which was obviously really helpful in your case, um, and accept it and, and think about it and do a little introspection when somebody else could have just been like, well, fuck you. You yeah. don't know anything about me. So I think that that's, you know, something to be really proud of. I like tough, tough love in those situations. Mm-hmm. I like when people are just straight with me and tell me how it is. Yeah. And then, Good to know. I'll keep that in mind. In that, in that instance, I was just so vulnerable that I didn't have any fight in me, really. Yeah. So I actually like, oh, yeah, you're right. How long total um, did you end up being in rehab for? Six months. And then after that, what was like the process kind of coming out of rehab? Um, so I ended up living in Nanaimo because I didn't feel like I was ready to basically go back to the real world. Because after 90 days, you go to another program if you want. A lot of people just leave. 
But they told me that I should stay another 90 days in the extended program where basically they kind of teach you how to basically be a functioning member of society again. And I remember I went to the dentist and I forgot my debit card and I had a fucking meltdown that I forgot my debit card and I was going to be late for my appointment. And I remember walking back to the treatment center thinking like, if I was out on the mainland, I would have instantly relapsed there because I was just so overwhelmed with anxiety and, and like... Yeah, the, the anxiety, and I had no way of getting out of it besides sitting in it. And I hadn't felt anything like that in the, like, four months that I was in Nanaimo because you're in, like, this little cocoon. Yeah. You have no responsibilities. All you have to do is that. And then all of a sudden, you have to do all these responsibilities again. Um, yeah, so I did that for six months. Then I went to, like, a halfway house. Um, and I did that for six months. And then as soon as I hit the year mark is when I left. That was my goal. I'm going to stay here for a year. From the day I got here to um, a full year of it, um, then I'm going to leave. And then I ended up going to university for like three months and I dropped out because I'm just not good at school. I can't learn that way. They told me not to like even talk to girls for a year. So I stuck to that. I basically did. I was diligent. I stuck to everything I was told, like, told to do. And like actually a lot of pride about it. I made my bed every day. I just was like so like into it yeah Yeah, like i'm like i'm gonna do exactly what they tell me and i'm gonna do it i was just really diligent with myself but i i wasn't that happy though either yeah i was just i felt good about sticking with it but i wasn't like wake up in the morning oh i'm so happy i'm just like okay i gotta just do this put my head down so when did you get to a point where you kind of felt like you were actually happy with like what your life had become kind of thing um well, the first time I felt it is when I got, when I bought my car. Because that was what I always had in my mind when I started the business. Because I love cars. And I just wanted to have a really nice car. And that was just, every time I woke up in the morning, I'd visualize it. I wanted a Lambo, but that still was a nice car. <laughs> I was happy with that one by, like, so much too. But I was, I'm like, okay, I want a Lamborghini. This is what I want to do today. I'm going to get there. And I said that to myself every day. So when I got that car, that was just, like, such a huge accomplishment for me. Especially because businesses, like 9 out of 10 businesses fail. So I had such a small chance of it being successful even that way. And then the amount of problems I had. And it was just like so, like, I felt so, like, grateful. And, like, I can't believe how far my life's come from, like, laying in rehab. Like, what the fuck am I doing here? Um, So that's when I felt happiness. But I also kind of, that was kind of fleeting almost. Because when I got in the car, I felt like that. And when I looked at the car, I forgot like that. But when I wasn't, the car wasn't on my mind, I didn't feel content no and i only started feeling more content since i started uh well future yeah that's the only time i can say like i actually feel happy and like normal but besides that no i never felt it made such a difference for me and well is an antidepressant yeah yeah and it helps for add too but i don't really notice that that helping that much for that but and that's another thing too i didn't know i had add or depression so again i'm like what if, what's wrong with me or like i just think that this is a normal feeling so i just get through it yeah instead of like understanding what's going on um and so after like throughout this whole experience kind of thing coming out of rehab do you did you feel at any time like tempted tempted or like thinking you were going to kind of go back to drugs or was it just sort of like you were done with it no all the time i thought i thought about it and I think I'd almost feel bad about it too sometimes. That that's like feel bad for thinking about it? Thinking about it, yeah. But um, I also got good at just kind of, it would pop in my head and then I'd instantly nip it in the bud and I'd be like, nope, you're not doing that. And then I'd just get on with my day. 
So I was really, really diligent about catching myself thinking that way and then stopping it and then just thinking about something else. But I think every single day for a long time, I think about it. Even in merit, I think about it all the time. Yeah. But I wouldn't sit there and obsess about it because that's when you start going in a different direction. Once you start obsessing about something, then it's easy to go, like get into like that whole, like where the thing, like addiction just takes over your body and you just start, you end up doing something like, what the fuck? Where? Like, it's not like you... It's not like you just wake up and you're doing drugs, but it's like you go on like this autopilot and you don't want to stop yourself. So it's easier for you just to like let it kind of guide you. Yeah. It's yeah. fucking bizarre. Yeah. Um, are you still like or like when you moved back from Merritt to Vancouver, um, were you still friends with anyone that you were friends with when you were doing drugs and stuff? And was that hard? No, I basically cut out a lot of people I knew where it would be healthy in my life and not. Um, and I stopped hanging out. I like didn't talk to anyone that like my high school friends we used to do drugs but they got on with their lives so i still friends with them um but the people i lived downtown with i did drugs with, no i stopped talking to them completely and then like some of my friends like when i first got back we'd go to like the bar and stuff and i wasn't drinking but they weren't doing drugs either but it felt kind of weird to like be and be in that situation i'd be like i shouldn't even be here like yeah this is stupid yeah so i try and i want i wanted so much to be normal that was the biggest problem I think someone can, I think a lot of people can relate to this too if they're in the program or going through like something like this. You just feel so excluded and like you the, I think the human nature is you want to feel like part of and when you're when I felt so like left out and even when people would ask me about it I feel like they're just kind of giving me oh, that's good for you blah, 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 like kind of like a pat on the back. But um yeah, I just felt so left out when I wasn't drinking because I'd go out with them. And then that's why I'd be like, why am I even here? Like, it's making me feel worse about myself. And is that what kind of made you go back to drinking eventually? Yeah, yeah 100%. That's a pattern for me is I just want to fit in with people. Mm. <laughs> um. Okay, I'm trying to think of how, if there's anything else we want to say before we wrap this up. <laughs> you should talk about addiction. your... My mint addiction. Nicotine addiction. Yeah, nicotine. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Logic understands me. Why is he addicted to nicotine mints too? He no, he made a song about nicotine. He's like, I'm peeing for the oh, nicotine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a slave for you. I'm a motherfucking slave. This, you this slave is, for this the is a gateway. This this pack. A gateway. That's the the end gate. <laughs> it's the sandwich to my all my addiction. <laughs> okay. So having gone through this all, like, is there anything that you feel like you would say to other people that are kind of struggling? It's, it's blows my mind. Like at our wedding, I was thinking it is fucking insane how much my life is like, how good my life is now. And I never thought my life could even get this good. When I was sitting in rehab, I thought oh, I can maybe get back to normal. And I actually missed my old life of just having like a little bit of money and all this stuff. That was all I wanted to get to. So the fact like how good my life is now, it's like you can actually do it too. It does. It was a lot of work at the beginning, but it gets easier and it's like totally worth it like there's i don't know i'm just like so happy now and like grateful and it's crazy to me just like how good life can end up and how long have you been uh sober from pills for today i've been sober from drugs for seven years wow or wait holy shit that's crazy <laughs> <laughs> wow and you maybe go get give, your seven year chip <laughs> yeah maybe get yourself a pat on the back for it every once in a while <laughs> yeah i don't even think about it anymore like yeah I don't know. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. Thanks. You're doing I'll well. I'll get you a cake. 
Perfect. Get you a 17. <laughs> what was the day that you like, like what was your like sober date? Um, January 31st. January 31st, 20. It was a cold day. What year are we in? 1920. 2012? 2012. Yeah. Cool. We'll celebrate on January 31st. Wait, is that right? Yeah, I was 20. <laughs> oh. I was 26. I think I was 25 when I went in. So I'm 32. So yeah, seven years ago. We'll leave Matt's sober date down in the description box below <laughs> so you can wish him well. <laughs> no. Just a final note here. Um, if you guys are struggling with addiction at all, we will leave um, numbers and people to reach out to in the description box below. Um, so please feel free to reach out if you guys are needing help. Um, because it, it is worth it, as Matt said. And you can message, I guess, them for any questions you have for me. And I'll try to help you if you have any questions regarding like recovery or what's going on with you. We'll forward you the emails. <laughs> yeah, hit me up. <laughs> <laughs> and our email as well is in the description box. If you guys ever want to reach out to us um, for any reason at all, you can feel more than welcome. That email is open for you guys. And if a thought pops in your head, like maybe you should send an email or look into it, then you definitely should. If that idea pops in your head, then you're already that I feel like is like your core person, at least getting curious. If you feel like that, then I think it's worth exploring. You should try to look into it a bit more. Yeah. Honor what honor what your core is saying. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, you guys. Thank you so much to Matt for being so open and honest. We really appreciate it. And uh, thank you to you guys for listening. Thank you, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Peace out. Atlantic <laughs> channel. Go. <laughs> Bye. I matter too. <laughs>